good thing I stopped for shop talk. Okay. Um, sorry for people who are watching, they were going to be watching the recording later. You missed the first five minutes, my bad. But we're basically continuing the um, understanding the godly soul and what's the construct of the godly soul, even though it feels so abstract because it doesn't have a form, it does have um, elements and it does have a composition. Okay, so remember in the time in the in chapter one, we talked about is it what what kind of book the Tanya is? Is it an instructional book or an informational book? So we learned that Tanya is an instructional book. It's not an encyclopedia. It's not just meant to like open up and and like you're looking for a translation of a word and you're gonna go find it. This is an instructional book. This is a book that's going to teach us how to act and behave with the proper tools. It's very instructional, but what did we say? What happens, it's like a recipe, right? You're, you're actually gonna be doing something, but what happens before you can actually do the recipe? You need an ingredients list, right? You need to know what ingredients you need. So this is the first couple chapters of, of Tanya. I want you to think of as the ingredients. We need to have some basic knowledge of basic concepts before we even get to anything instructional, before we even get to like doing something differently. So sometimes you can learn the first few chapters of Tanya and you'll be like, okay, like, oh, I'm learning all this information, but where am I at? Like, what am I actually going to do something? So Tanya says, don't worry, hold your horses. Before we actually are putting anything into practice, we want to understand very, very, very important foundational concepts. So the, the first foundational concept is there's three types of people. We're, we're barely touching upon that. Then the, the next foundational concept is there's two souls. Now we're understanding what are what is the makeup and the construct of these two souls, starting with the godly soul, okay? So another way to look at it is also if, like if anyone has I haven't, but if any of you has been to medical school, like before you're actually a doctor, before you're actually practicing, before you're doing any anything, what are you learning? Anatomy, right? You got to learn the anatomy before you get anywhere else. So view this couple chapters and specifically this chap this chapter about the soul, like you're learning the anatomy of the soul, because that's going to be very, very powerful for you in the future when you're actually going to be applying these tools you're going to need to know the anatomy of your soul. Okay. So that's um, something that I want you just to keep in mind that yes, this is an instructional book, but we're right now we're in the informational stage of the instructional book. Okay. So the first thing we're going to learn about the soul is that the soul has 10 cojos, 10 powers. Now you've heard this mentioned as I'm sure you've heard the word spherot. Spherot is a very hard word because there's no real definition of a sphera. Like, have you, you know, Yiddish and Hebrew, there's sometimes there's no real translation for the word that you're trying to say. So sphera is like a concept. Basically, um, we are, the concept of a sphera is how the infinite, listen carefully and write it down if you need to, I will, I'll repeat it twice. How the infinite finds context for our relationship with the finite. What is spheros? What is it doing? It's how the infinite God finds context for our relationship with us who are finite. Yes, we are in chapter three. Sorry about that. Um, 
Okay, you understand? So spheros only apply to God. Okay, they are the way that God relates to us as finite beings. It's the infinite relating to the finite. When you apply the spheros to our soul, because our soul, because we are a piece of God, our soul has what God has. So our soul has these 10 powers, but in the soul, in us, they're called kochos, powers. Okay, so when we refer to the 10 spheros, we are referring to God, his God's way he interacts with us. When we refer to them in our soul, we refer to them as kochos, powers. Okay, so our soul has 10 powers. Okay, um, any questions so far? Let me know. Now, these 10 powers, we're not going to get into what each of these 10 powers are specifically, but these 10 powers are divided into two categories. Okay, what would be the two categories? How would you divide these 10 powers? You have the intellectual powers and you have the emotional powers. Does anyone know how many are of each? We have seven emotional powers and we have three intellectual powers, okay? Now, this is where it gets really fun. The three intellectual powers are considered the parents of the emotional powers. And that's what we're really gonna focus on today. The intellect, gives birth to the emotions. And we're gonna delve into that. Now, what are the intellectual powers? Chabad, Chachma, Bina, and Da'as, okay? And we're gonna, just, we're gonna talk about what each one of these are. This is why the Chabad Hasidic movement is called Chabad. Why? Because we talked about this in the chapter number one, right? Hasidus was known to be super emotional service of God. And Chabad came along, the Alter Rebbe came along and said, emotions are very important, but it's also really important to you serve God from your brain, through your intellect. And we're going to understand how it's even more important because really any single emotion is born from our intellect. If you, emotions come from intellect. End of story. And it's really fascinating how we learn that. Okay. So, but first let's, let's talk about what is Chachma Bina Das. Chachma is the flash, the nugget of inspiration that comes along, but is not a fully formed concept. Okay. It is like, it's the essential point to a concept, but there's no depth. It is the source. It's the source of your concept. You can't have a concept without the Chachma, but the Chachma is the flash, the inspiration of light. I like to call it like a, the light bulb moment. You know, when you have a light bulb moment and you have like this inspiration, but then you're like, okay, wait a second. Like, I need to like, think about that. I need to develop it. I need to like internalize it, right? You can't really do anything with a flash of inspiration. It has to be thought upon for it to get anywhere. So Chachma is this flash of inspiration. It is compared to the father. Also, this is because we're talking about parents and children. If you take a talk about it physically as well, the father, what is the source of the child? It's like the, the flash, like the, the semen, right? But it, it, where does the baby grow? In the womb right? You can't, you can't have a baby unless it's growing, but you can't have a baby growing in the room without the, the initial source. So it works in all different directions. So we have Chachma, which is the flash of inspiration, your light bulb moment. Okay. You have, it's an idea that's not developed at all. In turn, what happens next? You have Bina. Bina is when you 
take this point and you expand on it. You think about it, you talk, you talk about it, you tell stories about it, you teach about it. This is Bina. This is when you take the flash of light and you expound on it. Kind of like when a baby grows in a mother's womb, right? It takes, this is the time where expansion happens. It's growing, it's learning. It's, you know, this is, it's expanding on its flash of inspiration. That is compared to the mother. Okay, so we have Chachma as the father, Bina as the mother. You have the flash of inspiration. Now you have the understanding, like you're beginning to pick this piece of information apart. Then you have together, Chachma and Bina create Das. Okay, and Das is the intimate union of Chachma and Bina. Okay, so before we go into Das, we're going to gloss over Das for a minute and we're going to come back to it. When you have the intimate union of Chachma and Bina, that creates children, that creates emotions. So the Chachma and the Bina together, the intimate union of Chachma and Bina together create the emotions, okay? Emotions come from our intellect. The source of our emotions are our thoughts, okay? now. This could be a revolutionary concept, but actually, if you think about it, it's, it's really, really, really super important and super powerful. And like I always say that Tanya's like the OG self-help book. If you look, if you read books about therapy and psychology, if you talk to therapists, they tell you this. They're like, you control your thoughts. You can control your thoughts, which then lead to your emotions. And we're going to talk about this even more. Okay. So this is really just setting us up for understanding this concept, which we are going to delve into much in a little bit in the Tanya in a much deeper way. But basically whatever information you're processing in your brain, that's going to determine your emotional experience. Okay. So what you choose to think about what you choose for your brain to um, ruminate on, right? Have das on, that is going to be how you end up feeling because what you think about is, is, is ends up being what you speak about and what you speak about ends up being how, what you actually physically do. And then it, it covers everything. It's your emotions. So your source of everything is your thoughts. So das Let's talk about DOS a little bit more for a minute. What does DOS mean? DOS, the, the, like the exact translation of DOS is knowledge. So when does Chachma and be, when does the flash of inspiration that you've now thought about, when does that actually turn into knowledge? That turns into knowledge when you make it, you focus on it and you make it part of you. Where, where's the first time in the Torah that we even hear the word of, Das, right? We have the first, like one of the first, um, in, in the first portion of the Torah, it says, Adam yada eschava. Adam knew Eve, right? What does it mean? He, she, he knew him? No, it's referring to an intimate physical union, right? So Das is not like, oh, I, it's just like this random piece of knowledge you have. Das has to become this intimate physical union. It has to become a part of you. So how does that happen? 
how does da'as happen? Example, you can have, and I'm sure all of us have encountered this, you can have a professor or a teacher that is very smart, right? Has the, the, has the first flash of inspiration, has, you know, has the concepts down. And he's even has the Bina down, right? He tells good stories, he expounds on the concept and he can teach it. But sometimes it doesn't turn into Da'as. What would that look like? It would be like a professor who doesn't internalize what he's teaching. So he preaches, but he doesn't practice what he preaches. Okay, he, he can talk to you, he can tell you the knowledge, he can explain it to you, you can understand it, he's a good teacher, but he goes home and he, behave, and he behaves in a completely different way. That is an example of someone who has the Chachma, has the Bina, but doesn't have the Das. Okay, because Das is internalization. In order to have DAS, you have to internalize the information. You have to, another word is focus. You have to focus on the information and make it a part of you and make it who you are. A really good example of, of that is um, Aristotle. My grandfather was a professor in philosophy. So um, I know this story that Aristotle was an amazing philosopher, an amazing teacher. I can't remember if it's Aristotle or Plato, actually. So don't quote me on this, either Aristotle or Plato. But basically, he was an amazing teacher teaching all these moral, ethical, philosophical teachings. And he would go home and he behaved atrociously. Not one thing that he taught did he actually practice. So what is that? That's a professor. That's a person who has the Chachma, who has the Bina but doesn't have the DAS, he doesn't internalize it. And when he was asked by his students, like, didn't you just tell it, like they caught him in a brothel or whatever, you know, like, didn't you just teach us what is moral and ethical? He's like, yeah, that was the teacher me. This is the real me. Like it wasn't one in the same. And we, we can find ourselves behaving that way a, a lot. Like I can find myself like, you know, yelling at my kids not to yell, right? Like, that's a great one. Like, stop yelling, right? Like that is not internalizing the information that I'm trying to give over, right? So if we want to really affect our emotions, we need to internalize what we're thinking about because without that, we can be a smart person. We can be a knowledgeable person. We can even be a person who can teach and talk to other people. But if we're not the person that's internalizing this information, then we're not going to affect our emotions. So you could be a smart person with um, a very smart person with an underdeveloped understanding of your emotional capacity and your feelings, right? Because you haven't gone the to the next step. Okay, so um, another example that I want to bring that's like, very practical in our day-to-day -day life, which I find myself working on every day is resentment. Okay, what's resentment? Why do we have resentment? Why do us as humans walk around with resentment? And I, I, would, I would be, I'm confident enough to say that most of us at some point in our life harbor some resentments, right? Why? Because resentment, it's, it's like a resentiment, right? It's like when you think about the bad thing that was done to you, or you think about the negative in your life and you focus on it and you um, like ruminate on it. And that's, what's going through your head. What is your, what's your feeling? What's the emotion that's going to come out of that? 
resentment because that's what you're thinking about. So I really feel like this is such a practical concept that can help us with our uh, emotional day-to-day life. Now we're, remember that Tanya's taking things slow. So we're getting teased by this concept, but we're not really going to understand it completely until a few chapters later, but it gets us thinking. It gets us thinking like, wow, if I trace back my emotions, where are they coming from? It's coming from a thought. It's coming from an idea. It's coming from an outlook that I have on the world, on myself, on my children, right? Like, so every single emotion gets traced back to a thought that you're having. Okay. So for example, um, let's say you have like a flour mill, right? And um, you bring wheat to this flour mill out of the mill like you're bringing stalks of wheat out of the mill is going to come wheat flour because you put in wheat. If you bring in spelt out of the flour mill is going to come spelt flour. If you bring in oats out of the, out of the oat, out of the flour mill is going to become oat flour, right? Because what you put in is what you're going to get out. So sometimes we expect to have different emotions, but we're not controlling it from the top. We're not having different thoughts. We just want to have different feelings without changing our thought process. Is this making sense? Yeah. Okay. So if it doesn't call me out, right? Like challenge me. I might not know the answer, but this, this is supposed to be something that resonates and makes sense. Okay. So, so here we have the basic concept of this chapter is understanding what our godly souls made up of. We have 10 faculties. I like the word faculties, right? Over powers because they're like, it just is a good word. Um, 10 faculties. We have three emotional faculties and seven, three, sorry, three intellectual faculties and seven emotional faculties. What we're focusing on this chapter is the three intellectual powers that we have. Chachma, flash of inspiration. Bina, understanding that information. Das, internalizing that information. I want to bring another um, practical day-to-day example. If you were to ask your four-year-old, where's Hashem? What would they answer? Everywhere, right? Like Hashem is everywhere. If you were to ask your seven-year-old, where's Hashem? Hashem is everywhere. Now, if you were to ask your seven-year-old, or even yourself, how does that make you feel, right? Hashem is everywhere. We know this concept, right? But how does that make you feel that Hashem is everywhere? Chances are your seven-year-old might not be able to answer the question, but if you give him time, him or her time, they probably can come up with something. If you ask yourself that, you may or may not have an answer. Why is that? Not because you don't understand the concept that Hashem is everywhere, right? That's a basic concept in in Judaism. Hashem is everywhere. But if you don't think about it, if you don't spend the time to internalize that and process your thoughts on it, you're probably not going to have an emotion about it. But if you take the time to think about the concept that Hashem is everywhere, that will produce an emotion. Okay, so the idea 
that Hashem is everywhere is true, whether or not you spend time thinking about it. But it will, but it doesn't necessarily produce emotion. It will produce emotion if you spend time on that thought. Now, it's interesting because like, if you were, if you, if you were to ask your seven-year-old, Hashem is everywhere. In this, in the, in the general world, people might not understand that a kid can grasp that concept, right? They'll be like, what do you mean? A seven-year-old is not developmentally um, ready to understand the concept that Hashem is everywhere, right? And they're just repeating what you're saying. They're just chanting. But no, because children can grasp and understand things that they're exposed to. It's not that Jewish children are smarter and better and more intellectual than secular children. It's just that they're exposed to it at a very young age. We sing to our children, Hashem is here, Hashem is here, everywhere. We talk about God. We talk about God being everywhere. So it's a concept that they can grasp. They're not just parroting the words without any understanding. They, they understand the concept that Hashem is everywhere because it's what we expose them to. It's what we talk about, right? So, and if you want to take it a step further, you can start asking your children, well, what is that? How does that make you feel? when you think about the concept of the Hashem is everywhere. And then they'll be exposed to even further. So it's coming back to my point is, is what you expose your mind to, what you expose your thoughts to, that is what's gonna produce your emotions. And, and it's not that we're not capable, right? It's just, what are we spending our time thinking about? What are we spending our time talking to our children about? And the more we expose ourselves to these concepts, the more, trained and the more conditioned your brain is going to be to think about these things. Okay. So what would happen? What would happen if, um, by the way, I'm talking to myself here because I really could use a little pep talk, but what would happen if when we wake up in the morning, we think about Hashem, you say your mom and you think about Hashem till it bears an emotion, okay? Not just like stumble out of bed, mumble modaani, grab a coffee, and then like get on with our day. What if like, you know how obviously meditation is a very, very big thing these days, but it's literally like a meditation. What happens if we took three minutes or however long you can manage to think about Hashem to the point where it is producing an emotion. When that can produce an emotion, that gives you, that can provide you some fresh, godly oriented motivation for the day. Do you get what I'm saying? Like think about Hashem to the point where it produces an emotion. It's not gonna take very long. We're emotional beings, right? And especially when we think about God, like it's going to elicit something in us, even if it's a negative emotion. Let's, we can work with that too, right? But let's say we think about God, it produces some kind of emotion, which then allows us to be a little bit more prepped for the day for godly motivations, okay? Now, um, what, what happens when we have godly motivations? What happens when we start our day with a little bit of a godly emotion and a godly thought? What, what can that 
provide for us? Like, what would be the point? The point is that when we encounter um, a challenge in our day, which we will, multiple challenges throughout our day, when we are encounter those challenges, what happens is, is that we're already ready to have the right motivation. We're already ready because um, we've been thinking about it. We already woke up in the beginning of our day with, a, with thinking about God, right? Enough that it's gonna produce an emotion. So when a challenge comes in our day, no one's saying it's not gonna be a challenge, but we do have a better chance of having a godly motivation to get through that challenge. Be- why? Not because we're superhuman, not because we're like, we've made it and we're super spiritual, only because we're, our brain is being conditioned to think about it. So, you know, you get practice does not make perfect, but practice makes better, right? Like the more you practice something, the more that your brain is going to be in that default mode. So when we encounter a challenge, we're not like some, I don't know, like sometimes I encounter a challenge and I totally try to get through this challenge and fight my way through it without one thought of God involved. Like it doesn't even cross my mind. I'm having a challenge, right? My kid's having a 45 minute tantrum coming um, because she she doesn't want to go to school, right? Do you think God enters my mind in that moment at all, ever? No, not a chance. But what happens if I would wake up in the morning? I'm not a morning person. I hate the mornings. I hate them. Like, I actually, it's like, it's, a, a, I actually spoke to my husband this morning. It's becoming a crisis. Like, I don't even know like how to move through the morning and I don't drink coffee. And I need, I think I need to start even though whatever, I'm just like, I need to figure out my mornings, but what happens if I would practice what I preached? Right. And I'd be like, okay, I'm going to wake up in the morning and I'm going to think about God, however way I want to, but like for enough time, I'm not saying like 20 minutes, I'm saying five minutes. I think we can produce an emotion in five minutes if we're really focused if I think about God for five minutes to produce an emotion, which then makes me more conditioned for a godly motivation in my day, right? So when my child is having a 45 minute tantrum outside of school, I might say to myself like, oh, okay, like this is my challenge for today. Um, It's godly divined, right? For me to engage with this child in a, in a way that might help her get to school, engage in a way that's going to um, challenge my patience, right? And I'm moving, all of a sudden, I'm moving through this challenge with godly motivation because why? Because I've thought about God this morning. Not because I'm like a super godly person, but I actually went, told my brain to go there. Like, you know, like when you, when you, condition yourself in a certain way, like it's just easier to get there. So I don't know. I think that would be a really cool experiment. Guys want to try it with me? Like, let's say for this week, we wake up in the morning and it's really great because I have accountability and maybe we'll talk about it on Instagram too. Like my challenge for this week is going to wake up with five minutes of think I'm going to put on my timer. I'm super not like I have zero, like 
zitz flesh. Like I can't, whatever. So I'm going to put on my timer for five minutes and I'm going to think about God enough to produce some kind of emotion. And let's see what that does for our day. Maybe it will do nothing. Maybe we need more. But I think with like, um, like doing it every day, like I think we're going to see some differences. You guys with me? Who's with me? Raise your hand. The five people that I see your face. <laughs> okay. Next week, we're, this is how, remind me because I have a terrible memory. Next week, we're going to start our class this way. We're going to say, if anyone was able to start their day with thinking about God, I don't want you to think about a godly intention. I don't want you to think about, I'm going to be more calm today. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to dive in today, or I'm going to, that's not what we're talking about here. I want you to think just about God, just about God. The fact that just think about the fact that God's everywhere. Start with that. See what that brings up on you. It might bring up, like for me, when I think about God is everywhere, sometimes it brings up fear. Sometimes it brings up like uncomfortableness, um, but stick with it. Stick with the feeling. Don't do anything with it. Don't try to change it and see what it does for the rest of your day when you encounter a challenge. Okay. So that's our like little practical thing we're going to do together. And I'm really excited because I've been wanting to do this for a very long time. And I keep on telling myself that I'm going to do it, but I'm not motivated enough and I'm not being held accountable. So now I have 44 people that are going to make sure I did this. Okay. So, um, Focusing on how something makes you feel, that's DAS, okay? That's DAS. That's internalizing something, focusing on how it makes you feel, which then bears emotional children, okay? So that's why we're saying um, that intellect, the intellectual faculties are the parents for the emotional faculties. You cannot, your emotion does not come from your heart. It doesn't come from nowhere. It comes from your brain. Emotions come from your brain. We feel them in our heart, but they come from our brain. And if you, um, and there's no such thing as thinking about something that's not going to have an emotional outcome. Okay. If you go through these steps, these are the things that are going to happen. If you take your flash of inspiration and you think about it and you expand on it, which is Bina, then you internalize it and you think about it and you create an ultimate intimate union between Chachma and Bina, uh, wisdom and knowledge. No, Under, wisdom and understanding. Chachma's wisdom, Bina's understanding, Das's knowledge. If when you create that um, ultimate union between wisdom and understanding, you create knowledge, which then creates what? Emotions. Yeah? Okay, I see it one second. Let me see, I have a couple of questions. Okay, two very good questions. How does Tanya explain mental illness in regards to the emotions not being controlled? Okay, um, this is something that I wanna look more into, but my, my, my gut response is that, okay, I have, I do deal with a lot of um, mental illness and um, mental illness is a, challenge. It's a physical challenge, just like a physical illness is, right? So there's certain things that are going to be harder for someone to do with a mental illness. It is of my opinion that it doesn't mean it can't be done. It just means that you need a ton of support 
You need to get the right. A lot of times mental illness is such a, is such a challenge because part of having a mental illness is recognizing you might have a mental illness or, and recognizing that you need help to get through the mental illness. So when we get to that point where we understand that there is something that makes it harder for us, then we're on the path to being able to accomplish things like the general population can. Mental illness, like people with mental illness have, ama like have amazing capacity, right? It's just, it's an added challenge. And everybody is born with a ch their challenge. So yes, it might seem unfair, it might seem harder, but people have physical challenges that make things harder. People have mental challenges that make things harder. It doesn't mean it can't be done. Um, I, and also doesn't mean there's no exceptions to the rule, right? We can have like a special needs or mentally impaired person who might not be able to grasp some of these concepts. That's okay. They will serve God in the way that they can. But to say, just to write off the, the mental um, challenged people as a write-off, they can't do it. I feel like that's kind of like a, like a stereotype. Like, no, people with mental illness are very super bright, intelligent people that just have an added challenge, which can be helped with a lot of different avenues and ways, which then will allow them. Men people with mental challenges can have control over their emotions. They can have, they can control their thoughts. Yes. With challenge, with a lot of help, with a lot of support, with medication, any of those things, but each individual person has to find their service of God in their unique way. And remember we spoke about find your spiritual mentor, right? Find the spiritual mentor that will help you serve God with your particular challenge. Like I can't make general statements, but if you have someone that's helping you and guiding you on your spiritual journey and who knows you and knows your challenges, you'll find a path to this journey. Not, there's no one who is it, who cannot have a relationship with God. That doesn't exist. How that relationship looks, how that comes about, that's an individual process. I hope that answered the question. Um, uh, okay. And isn't the point of the morning, isn't that the point of the morning? Start your day with connection so you're connected the rest of the day, morning davening. Yeah, ideally, we all would start our day with morning davening. Um, that's a goal of mine. It does not happen. I do not start my day with morning davening. By the time I'm like getting my kids out to school and everyone's had their temper tantrums. And then by that time, I'm like, I I'm already a complete mess. And davening is like the farthest thing from my mind. So that's why I want to get back to that. Of course, if we would all be able to start with morning davening, I think that would center us. Sometimes that feels a little overwhelming to start with a morning davening right away, right? So that's why I think maybe starting with your five minutes of thinking Hashem is everywhere, maybe that leads to you starting to be able to have a morning davening. I don't know. But I'm not going to be the one to say, start your day with morning davening because I don't. So that wouldn't make me a very authentic person, right? Like go start your day with morning davening. And meanwhile, what am I doing? Right? Like, so let's start small. Let's start small together. And we'll start with our five minutes of Hashem is everywhere thought, right? Like this is a great thing to think about. It can do so many cool things. If your morning five minutes of thinking Hashem is everywhere brings you to your morning davening, yes, amazing, right? But I don't want anybody to feel like they're not 
spiritual or they're not, or they're less than, or they're not, or they're doing things completely wrong if they're not managing to get to their morning davening in the morning. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So I want to do a quick, quick, brief, like summary of what we talked about in this chapter. And then we're going to go into our meditation. Any more questions put in the chat box. Okay. Okay. Like in 30 seconds, what did we do? Godly soul. Our godly soul has 10 faculties, potential, potentials, faculties, powers, right? You use a word that makes you understand it the best. The 10, the 10 faculties are split into two categories, correct? What are the two categories? Intellectual and emotional, right? What's the relationship between these two categories? The intellectual faculties are the parents, the emotional, the, the emotional faculties are the children. What does that tell us? Emotion comes from our thoughts, okay? What we expose ourselves to think about is what we're going to feel about. A plus B equals C, whoever made that up, right? So what we focus on, what we think about is going to produce our emotions and is going to be how we feel, okay? This is not magic, right? We're not going to say, oh my God, I thought about God for 30 seconds and how come I don't feel anything, right? Nothing in Tanya is letting you off the hook without work. It has to, it takes work. It takes effort. It takes work. It takes focus. It takes commitment. But if you choose to go that direction and start to decide what you want, what do you want, what concepts do you want taking space up in your brain? right? Like, do you want to think about all the things that are going to cause resentment? Yeah. Sometimes I want to do that. I do that on purpose. You know, like, yeah, I want to be resentful. Is it very productive in the end? Probably not. Right. But the, but we get to choose that. We get to choose what takes space in our brain. And this is what the Tanya is telling us. And we're, we obviously we're going to expound on this topic even more, but let's, let's start with a little bit, right? even with just the knowledge of knowing that we can control our thoughts, which is so powerful that our thoughts lead to our emotions, we're already ahead of the game. Okay, any more questions before we get to our meditation? Okay, get comfortable. Okay. Take a deep breath in through your nose, out through your mouth. When you feel ready, close your eyes. And allow your breath to come naturally. In through your nose, out through your mouth. Focus on the breath. Let your mind do whatever it needs to do. Sometimes it helps to center yourself. If you're just going to focus on your breathing, you can even try to do like an even count, like four counts in four counts out. You don't have to, but it kind of helps regulate yourself a little bit and just sit there for a minute with your breath.
Feel the rising and falling sensation in your body. Where do you feel your breath? Is it in your chest? Is it in your stomach? Is it in your head? Don't try to change it or control it, just observe it. Okay, when you're ready, I wanna bring your attention to a couple of thoughts that I want you to go home with. Ultimately, I can control my emotions because what I feel is always an outcome of what I think. You can let your chachma flow by being intellectually curious, imaginative, and by looking at the bigger picture. Next, use your bina by being logical and detail-oriented, carefully examining the raw concept that comes from your chachma. The crucial step which generates feelings that are real and sustainable is da'as. Use Da'as by personalizing an idea, sensing how it is relevant to me and my life experience. So that's Chachma, Bina, and Da'as. That's what we focused on in this class. And for our joint experiment, we're gonna try to think about God, Hashem being everywhere, internalizing that concept enough that it produces an emotion and seeing how that affects the rest of your day. Bring your attention back to your breath. Let your mind wander wherever it needs to go. In through your nose, out through your mouth. Slowly start to Acclimate to the sounds around you, the smells around you. Feel your body and your seat. And when you're ready, gently open your eyes. Take a deep breath. Shake it out. Okay, how are we feeling? How are we doing? Any questions? Any comments? Please feel free to leave any comments in the box. If you wanna send me feedback, Instagram, email, you guys are getting reminder emails, which I'm super proud about. That is like a big deal for me. I feel very professional. So always email me with questions or feedback or something that would make it easier for you. Um, I hope you enjoyed. Uh, and I think I think we're done, unless there's any more questions. You could unmute, if you have a question that you wanna ask out loud and not in the box, feel free to unmute yourself.
Okay. Well, have a wonderful day. Um, I hope it is a godly day. And um, I hope we're able to like rock our challenges today. Um, and we'll see you here next week. Thank you guys so much. Stop the recording.